Welcome to the My Opinion Podcast, the leadership podcast for women. This is a show that focuses on leadership, life, and love to empower women around the world to be the leader of their life. The My Opinion Podcast is a weekly show with Maya's Motivation Monday, focusing on leadership topics for women that feature guest interviews as well as solo episodes with Maya. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the My Opinion Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now, in her opinion, here's your host, Maya Roffler. Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Opinion. Today, I have Jill James from The Jill James today with me. Hi, Jill. Welcome to My Opinion. Hi, Maya. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. We're excited to have you. I want to jump in right away and talk about your business, what you do. I'm really intrigued by it. One thing that you do every week, though, that I want to tell my listeners about, because first of all, you do a newsletter every week. That's a time commitment and a half right there. I do. It's my passion project. Uh, It's something I love to do. I started writing it um, actually as a daily newsletter. I did a 10-week series on um, how to start your business in 10 weeks. And then from there, people were like, too much. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to weekly. But my, my focus on it is really, you know, most of us learn, I, I primarily work with self-funded small business owners, people who intend to stay that way, not looking for equity investment. They want to grow the business and keep ownership themselves. And it is a different set of rules than what you read in the press. It is a different set of things to think about than what you're going to read in formula, generic framework programs. And there are all these nuances that you have to decide for you of what's the right path. And there are also just a lot of rules to know, and you don't have a ton of support. So I balance between, hey, here's some stuff that you should know this month that's going to help you run your business better. And here are some insights of things you can think about to you know, really help to take your business on your intentional path to the next level. Okay. Well, I'm excited. I'm going to sign up for the newsletter. We'll make sure that we put the link straight into the show notes so everyone can sign up for that. That's incredible. I mean, I can't believe you were doing a daily (laughs) huge commitment. That's huge. I know some podcasters that do daily podcasts too, and I'm always impressed with them as well. That's a huge commitment. So let's get into talking about the Jill James and what you do, because I was so interested in your whole concept about being a founder, but turning into a CEO, because I think a lot of us are, in my opinion, under the you know impression that you know if you're the founder you're the CEO and that's not always the case so tell us a little bit about what you do and what that means sure well i think it's a great question maya and and what i have seen is there are a surprising number of founders and probably hiding among your listeners there are some of these who are very comfortable saying they're the founder they are not comfortable saying they're the ceo because what they attach with what it means to be a ceo is a whole set of training and experiences and people who work for you and other things. And they don't want to use the title CEO because you know sometimes they're afraid someone will say, you, you aren't qualified for that, right? There's a little bit of fear around it. There are also some technical skills that differentiate between being a founder and actually being ready to run a company on your terms that's sustainable, that's set up for the growth that you want. And so there's both that a combination of you stepping into I am a CEO, and also the technical knowledge and skills that it takes you know, to, to speak the CEO language. So I think that's the balance. So I focus on, in my company, I work only with self-funded founders. I don't work with anyone who takes venture capital or has taken equity investment in their company. 
I typically start with people sometimes when they're in the low six figures that want to go to at least a million. But usually when we get there, they're like, that was easier than I thought. And we keep going. So I have companies that range in size, typically from 250,000 all the way up to 20, 25 million. That's about where I hand them off to a different set of professionals. That's great. Um, Yeah. So my focus is really around what is, what is the business you want to design for yourself? And I think through my background in finance, operations, strategy, technology, I have a lot of different experiences of what, what is the business for you? Right. And what business do you want to run? What does being a CEO mean to you? How much do you want to work? How much money do you want to make? And then we design the business for those things. What are your values? Do you want employees or don't you? Right. There are no hard and fast rules about this, about what success looks like for you. So if you would be super happy and your ultimate dream is like, I want, you know, a business that's like $400,000 a year and that I can pay myself this much of it and I work 20 hours a week. That's a great goal. That is a successful business, right? And if that's your goal, don't feel bad about it. Go for that. Be the head of that business, right? If you have a different goal, you want to grow really, you know, over the long term and have quite a large sizable business or sell it or, you know, build something that could get investment in the future. There are different tools and tactics to do that as well. But I don't believe in one size fits all advice. Um, most frameworks are frameworks are great to get you to six figures, right? To about a hundred thousand dollars, because you need systems and foundations and things like that. After that, it is about what you want from the business, and there are always points that are specialized to you, um, to your values, to who you want to be, to what you want your work to be in the world. Um, and we need to tailor the business to that. We need you to keep you working on the things that you love keep you working in your zone of genius, keep you working aligned with the values that you want your work to bring into the world. And I think that's a different take on running a business and why we're in business. But that's a big part of my motivation for, especially for women and underrepresented founders who believe that through our work, we can change the world. I want to help them do that. I love that. I always say the future is female. That's one of the things I keep saying. So I feel like that just fits right in with what you just said. But yes, I love it. And I think you bring up such a great point. We were talking about this before we hit record and started. And I was like, hang on, Joe, we got a bottle to talk about this. (laughs) No, you bring up a great point because these basic, you know, things that you need to do to start your business, they can get you to that, you know, six figure earner, 100 grand, 200 a year. But at that point, you're going to hit a wall or, you know, whatever term you want to use, in my opinion, because you need this specialized, you know, special sauce, as I like to kind of call it, that you're talking about. Because I think what stops a lot of people and what blocks them is that they think they have to do all of these things, right? And they have to, you know, be in all the different areas. And you may not love doing, you know, the marketing part of it, but you may really love the operational side of it. So being able to work with someone like you, Jill, I think is really wonderful because once you're ready to take that next step to your point and and scale it, you know, you need to know what do you love doing? And that is a different type of concept and way of thinking. And I love that we're starting to think like that. And we have people like you that are helping women like us do that. Because it's always been in the past, or at least this is kind of what I've heard throughout my career, you're going to have to do things you don't like, you know, get used to it. You know, this is how it's going to go. And isn't it a wonderful concept to think you can evolve to doing everything that you love and kind of take the things off your plate that you don't love so much? Absolutely. I I think um, there's an exercise that I have 
uh, all my CEOs do really early on in whether it's a one-on-one or a cohort engagement where there is a, a list and it says love, like, dislike, hate. Love that. And you have to get to things that you feel very strongly about. Right? The, the like and the dislike you can deal with for a while if you have to, but we've got to get the things you hate off your plate. You do not want to be doing things that you hate, right? That's just going to drag you down. You also have to recognize where you have very strong feelings, not I'm good at it. I can tolerate it. I could do this fine for now. You have to, if you really want to be an elite organization and find your long-term place, you have to focus in on, I love this. This brings me joy. This gives me energy. I can refill my cup and give to other people when I do these things. And that will keep you going. So those strong emotions, I know sometimes we try to tamp them down and not use words like hate, but tapping into like things that you feel in your gut where you're just like, I hate this, right? Like that's really important to know. And that sets apart people who will be honest about that and just be like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, or, and sometimes it's just my organization will not do this. Like I will not run an organization that does a thing like this. And so, you know, knowing that what that means to you, those values to you, both in terms of your capabilities and, and how you want to spend your time. Um, all of this is about, like, we have a limited amount of energy. We have a limited amount of time. If we have to direct it in a way that's really intentional. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think that's, and again, a wonderful way. And I had no idea you had that exercise. And here I am talking about fabulous. <laughs> Yeah, what a wonderful way to look at it. And, you know, I'm just kind of, as you're talking, flashing back to, you know, those good two, three in the morning nights when we're getting our business up and running. And I'm like, gosh, I really hate doing this. You know, those are the (laughs) moments you've got to have to think back to, right? I'm sure and tap into what are the things you don't really like to do and, you know, take that off your plate or maybe it's something that you don't do. And I think a, a misconception too that happens in business and as you're growing and scaling, like we're talking about, is that if you don't like to do it, then you can't be successful. You just got to push through it. And it's, I mean, you're, you know, disproving that, of course, you know, it, it, you can still be successful. You can still do very well. Have you thought about starting a podcast, but the only thing that's holding you back is finding that perfect co-host to launch that podcast with? We understand that challenge here at findacohost.com. And that's exactly why we launched our white glove service to help you find your perfect match at findacohost.com. Right now, we are in our beta mode and we're helping podcasters or future podcasters just like you find your perfect match. Visit us at findacohost.com dot com and use our complimentary code VIP100 to test out our service right now and find your perfect match and start podcasting today. I want to go back just for a second, Jill, to when you were talking about the difference between founder and CEO Mm -hmm. and how there's some technical skills with CEO that can be different than founder. I think what you said about being a founder is totally true because I have founded more than one business and I have no trouble myself being like, yeah, I founded that. Yeah, no problem. But saying that I'm the CEO, there's really only one business that I feel totally comfortable saying that I am the CEO of it because I know all the nuts and bolts behind it. But 
In your opinion and definition, what are some of those, you know, characteristics or differences, you know, at a high level? Like, can you walk us through what that looks like to make that transition? Sure. I would say the number one thing, and I write at least one newsletter a year about this, do not give up the checkbook. No matter how comfortable or uncomfortable you feel around money and bills and, you know, and paying for stuff, you ultimately still have to know the money going in and out of your business. So, you know, whatever it takes in terms of understanding like the language of accounting, how that works, um, and speaking to a way that works for you, and then systems that give you support, but ultimately let you keep control over the money going in and out of your business, that is CEO thinking. I see the number one problem with people where they're like, I'm vision, I don't want to get into numbers, it's going to drag down my creativity. And actually, there's a lot from accounting when you're a user of it that unlocks your creativity because you can point that in a direction where you know this works, this doesn't work. I, you know, and you get that pre- predictive nature of um, I'm making a better bet with my time. Let me put my energy over here. So I think that's probably a, a place where is the number one thing that I see, especially with women founders, is. I can't wait to get that CFO or person in here who's going to handle all the money for me. And I just don't even want to deal with that. That first is inviting fraud into your business. Fully 25% of my clients over six years have experienced some kind of factor fraud. And it has come when they say, I just don't want... If you say the words, I don't want to deal with this, you are inviting someone who's going to rip you off. I believe in that too. I love this (laughs) advice. I mean, you are so right on the money with this. No pun intended in that, but yes. (laughs) Yeah. So that's definitely one. I like, you know, you don't, you don't have to become an accountant. You don't have to love all the numbers, but you need to functionally understand the mechanics of your business. There is some parts, there's a part of business where, you know, you wouldn't say, I want to go live in Italy for the next 20 years, but I refuse to learn Italian. Right. So I, I'm not a lover of accounting, but I love it as a language that facilitates what we need to do in business. And I think making the numbers and the accounting your friend is a place where you as a CEO will accelerate your growth a lot and also be able to speak the language of the people that you need to work with in the world, a banker, an insurance person, a financial planner, right? A wealth manager, um, all of these things that you're going to need money to make your business function. And there's a common language around that. So that's the number one thing for me is keep the checkbook and have whatever you know level of comfort you, you can get around how the mechanics of the, the money and the math in your business works. Yeah, I think that's great advice. That, that to me would give me a lot of anxiety to hand that over. And I've heard, you know, mixed advice on that with people. And I have just always been so aligned with what you just said, Jill. Like, no, you need to know, even if you grow to the point where you do have a CFO and it's someone you trust and they're doing a great job, you need to know what's going on though. You need to be able to speak that language. And now is the time as you're building, growing founder to CEO, as we're talking about, you learn it now. You don't learn it when you lost or there's theft fraud, all of those things going on. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to learn it the hard way. So I would say that's a big one. Definitely. Are there a couple other things that stand out to you right after the checkbook for sure? Yeah. Another one is building your professional partner team. Find people who will teach and give you advice. Often it's an investment. It's not just going to be like, Hey, pay $200 and get your books closed. When you want someone who knows who you are, what you value, and you don't have to put everything through that filter, they'll put it through that filter for you. 
you start to get partners that then refer you to other partners who share your values, who will help you run your business the way you want to run it versus putting you into a cookie cutter. Oh, at this size, here's what you do, right? You need things that are tailored to you so that you stay on your path. So I think cultivating that professional team, I think the number one miss that people have is they don't have a human at their bank that they talk to. A banking relationship is a really important one. And frankly, a lot of business bankers will give you a ton of free advice, right? They want your business to grow. It's good for Mm -hmm. them. So thinking about these people as an extension of your professional team and not just, oh my God, every time I call my lawyer, they charge me for 15 minutes and it's like this much money, right? Mm -hmm. Make it so you learn something and you have partners who are not just there to like answer the question and make you more confused, right? Or give you a bunch of choices, but not guide you in how to use them. It is a a different set of professionals who are willing to give advice because it takes time. It's less scalable. It's more expensive for you and for them. And it introduces risk into a professional relationship. So, you know, they have to be willing to take that on. And a lot of people aren't. And so if that is not a, a way that you can accept to work, then look for people who will advise you and be on your team and be part of your growth and make that investment for yourself. Yeah. Again, wonderful advice. I work with a couple different. So one of, I don't know if I told you this show, but one of my companies is an event logistics company. And that's the one I'm really in the nuts and bolts of. Like I'm really in that one. I'm the CEO of that for sure. And some of my clients are, you know, they're in mentorship programs, things like that. I do events for them. And that is a wonderful way to get involved, you know, communities like that, but it's not always easy to find those areas. So when you're looking for mentors, you know, when you find someone and you can find someone to help you and uh, hold on to that relationship, because I mean, I still have mentors from the very beginning of my career, you know, 15 or so years ago, and they're still in my life because it was invaluable what they brought to me and to my business and where I am now. So I think, again, yeah, that's wonderful advice. And I really love what you're saying about, you know, being the founder, but then, you know, a lot of people have that misconception that the CEO is supposed to be just the visionary person. I actually did a whole solo uh, episode about vision and, you know, what that looks like and how important it is to have vision, but it doesn't just stop there to your point. You've really got to understand this other side. And so I think kind of talking about this is painting a really clear picture of it's great that you have the vision. It's great that you invented something or created the company, right? But transitioning to CEO is really understanding having your checkbook and then really understanding how you want your business to operate, to look at it at a high level. Yes, absolutely. And I think, again, what I have seen, uh, I didn't just work at one tech back, a tech startup, I worked at six. So I've been through a lot of startups. And I, of course, usually joined right at the beginning, pre-launch or very early. And I've seen how much the founder imprints on how the business functions for years. There are things two, three, four, five years down the road, where a decision the founder made pre-launch is still people are like, I don't know why we do it that way. We just do, right? It is the way we do it here. So even if you don't intentionally create a culture, you will create a culture. And so those decisions that you make, the rules that you make and the filters that you put on how we make decisions, you know, do we value people or are they a cost center, right? Are we going to pay for benefits? Do we design our products with the expectation that we're going to pay fair wages and provide a certain kind of balance for our employees? right? Uh, These are all conscious decisions that you can make, right? Will we write our policies 
so that they accommodate certain things that we want to have and we think our team should have. Right? Those things all take effort, whether you're in a startup or you're in an established business and moving into leadership. Um, if you do not challenge the conventional wisdom that comes to you as this is just the way it's done, it will stay the same. So if you like the way your business functions and you take the status quo or the generic advice and you're like, okay, that's fine, it will stay the same. If you are a challenger, a challenger brand, or you want to, you know, a challenger leader, you're going to have to understand why are these rules the way that they are? Where do we have space to redefine them? How much of myself am I going to put out there? If you're a founder of your own company, you can steer that ship, especially in the early days to say, this is what we value. These are our corporate pillars. We run every decision we make through these. And my highest growth companies take that from day one and say, we will never compromise on this. And it makes it really easy to make decisions about what's for you and what's not for you. There's no messy middle. There's no gray area. It's just like, it didn't pass all three tests. We're not doing it, right? And then there isn't any debate or politicking around, well, we could. I mean, everybody knows in the company, we just don't do things like that. Yeah. Right. And so it helps everybody make better decisions when they have these guardrails and these core values to follow. And I think that in terms of, you know, whether you're a founder or whether you're you know, stepping into leadership for the first time, knowing that, you know, the generic advice that you read is probably going to cover some of the basic things that don't need to change, but you need to make the effort and figure out what's for you and what you stand for and to really define those filters of this is in, this is out, and we never need to talk about it again. Yeah, I love that. And I didn't know you worked for six tech startups. That's incredible. <laughs> so I think you kind of know what you're talking about there, yeah. Jill, just a little bit. But you're so right, because in my career, I started out at two very established Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, I would ask, because I'm a challenger, <laughs> believe yeah. it or not, guys, I'm sure you believe it. I would ask, okay, so why do we do it this way? You know, when I was very young at corporate, I was like 22 when I went to corporate. And they were like, it was the company I started in 1905. And they were like, well, we just do. Like that was an answer sometimes, right? And I was developing three different departments for that particular uh, company. And I'm like, well, no, we're not. We're going to have to, I was a, a disruptor, a challenger, you know? And there were some things though, like it, you know, they were cultural. They did have to, you know, stay on that path. And then when I switched and started doing startups and working for startups, you're right. You're a part of that in the beginning. And, and the founder, CEO, those people are so important and crucial. And you watch as you grow with the company or, you know, I left and would do contract and start and help and leave and do things like that. But even looking at those companies now, I still see it years later ingrained completely into the beginning. You know, you still see it. I still see, you know, that person in everything that they do. And I think that's really interesting. So building that now is key, I think, when you're starting your company or scaling it, growing it. So I want to ask you, Jill, so when you're working with people, you mentioned like a cohort that you do. And so do you have different programs? How do you work with women that are self-funded, obviously? And how do you help them go from you know, being a founder to CEO? We talked about some things. We gave some tips to my wonderful listeners. But how do they work with you and who do you look for? Like, who is, who is the person for Jill? Sure. That's a great question. I have two ways right now that I work with people. One of them is, you know, my classic one on one, and I call it the business design bootcamp. Um, we spend the first two months intensively 
tearing apart everything in your business, who you are as a CEO, who the right customer is for you, how we get your business to the margins that will fund all of these programs that like pay for the business. If we run the business this way, who do we need to staff? Do they need to be W-2? Do they need to be contractors? But basically remaking all the choices of if I want to go over here and I want my life and this business to look this way, I want it to function in my world this way. I want to contribute this. I want to build personal wealth in this way. What are the things that we need to do? What's What can we do and what can't we do? And that is super specific to you in the business design bootcamp. I have some people who are just like, I will work my butt off for the next five years and I want to be a $10 million company. I have other people who are like, my dream is to put all this in a box and I want to work this much, spend more time with my kids, have the business function without me, right? Those are all perfectly good answers. And I think when we do the business design bootcamp, it is really around who are you? What do you want? And so that factor in that, I don't take a ton of clients for that. I cap it out at 10 or 12 a year because I really need to sit and be in your business and work on that with you. So, you know, there has to, I I really can start like one person at a time. At some point I will teach someone else to do this, but I'm just not there right now. So for me, I'm, I'm kind of gathering the learning of like what's repeatable here versus what isn't by doing this work one-on-one. And then I and my team stay on, uh, it's a six month engagement. So we typically do that in the first two months. And then there's an implementation of here's some stuff you're going to do. Here's some stuff we're going to do. And we're going to get this set up over six months for eight to get to you to where you want to be in 12 to 18 months. So there really are some things that matter a lot to do in the early days that will set you on that path to success. And you have to block out the other things that aren't going to matter as much and be okay with the fact you're not dealing with them. We focus, 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 focus. I think that's the number one thing that I work on with those founders is we're not saying your big vision is not going to happen. We're picking a thing right now that is your flagship, right? One audience, one or two offers. And we really hone in on those and those become the flywheel that fund everything else we want to do. So if you want to be self-funded, that's something that you have to do is find the place where it's going to generate the money that you need to pay for all the other big ideas. So that that's one piece. The other is uh, I have a cohort program that's called Founder to CEO. And in six weeks, we go over all of those technical things, right? Some of it is mindset. Some of it is how to hire people. And what's the difference between a W-2 and a contractor? And, you know, what's a 1099? You know, kind of these nuts and bolts things, how to read your accounting statements, all of those sort of boot camp things that I've taken from my experience, from business school, from being a personal financial advisor. All those little pieces that over time people accumulate from, you know, anecdotal evidence, friends who are entrepreneurs like, oh, you should do this. And then you're like, what's that? I guess I'll talk to your person, right? I've taken kind of all of those things that really make a difference in your shift from founder to CEO and just put them in a learning style where you're with other people at a similar level of business. And we're just raising your level of general business knowledge with the support of about 10 other women around you. So that we're also sharing ideas about where we want to go in our businesses and how to grow. I love that. I love how you're creating a community with that too. I love both options. That's really great. And, you know, I think it's important that we do build community around that because it can be lonely. It can be very lonely to be a founder. (laughs) You know, you kind of feel like you're by yourself. So that's why it's great to work with someone like you, Jill, too, because you feel like you have a partner, right? Helping you through this process. That's why, you know, I think it's great what you're doing. 
Is there a particular vertical that you look for or you specialize in? Or are you just kind of open to work with all businesses or is there something you specialize in? I don't really specialize. So I, I will work with people in any industry. The difference to me is, do you have a physical product or don't you? Right. Do you want to have a physical product or don't you? Because that just changes how we look at how we use cash, what kind of growth patterns we can have. But at an early stage, those are the two. That's, that's the only difference, right? Products yep. or services. And then it's about finding repeatable systems, finding the right customer, getting your margins right, right? And then just giving you a narrow focus to do in like a, for a small period of time before we broaden out again, to really get the business moving in the direction you want it to go. And I have found, I mean, I've worked with such a wide variety of founders, like everything from cybersecurity to hair extensions. That's awesome. So. <laughs> okay. That's so cool. I know. I love that. That's why I yeah. asked the question. I wanted to know, yeah. like, are you, because I know you've got a tech background, but you were also on Wall Street. I mean, you've got a really cool background. So I was wondering, you know, is there a particular vertical, but that's so cool. You've done everything from cybersecurity to hair extensions. <laughs> I, I love that. And so that also tells me too, that you know, it's either B2C or B2B, like it doesn't matter. You just want to get to the know with them and then you can move them forward. Right. And sometimes it is finding that right place or often early in business, we try a few different things and to get to that next level of growth, we have to pick something that has the scale potential sort of, again, to be that flagship. So, you know, in looking at what's right for you, I have people have had people say, I really can't continue in the consumer path. I need B2B. Or, you know, I've had people who have had agencies and they want to move into more of a product-based business, right? So how do we make this more repeatable to fund that? So sometimes there's a nugget in the business of what we do today is paying for what we want to do tomorrow. And often that's a direction we move. I mean, my very first client was uh, an events management company when we started and a pure, a true agency. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. It now has white label, meta, like build your own metaverse software. That's so they awesome. are a full-fledged software company now. They still do the event stuff, but that's been the evolution because by you know having a set of customers who have common themes in what they do and having them value and be willing to pay for things that you know help you build your business, you start to hear common themes and you say, we have the knowledge and we have the experience and we could do that. Like we could be in that space. So do I want to stay where I am or do I want to be in that space? And that's, again, a reevaluation of, you know, what, what do we do with this, right? Because there are always options of, you know, you could pay yourself more, you could invest more in the business, you could pivot again, you could add another line of business. And these are all decisions that, you know, kind of layer in as we go of what's right for you, what path you want to take. I love that. That's so awesome. What a great story. And I relate to that because that's what I do. Event management. Yeah. That's one of my things. So that's cool. So we need to talk, Jill. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> this has been so great. Jill, I want to kind of close this out. We're going to talk about where to find you and everything, but I always ask, what is your, you've given us so much advice already, <laughs> but what is kind of your closing piece of advice for my awesome listeners about stepping into leadership, whether it's the first time or if they're really stepping up their leadership, what's a great piece of advice you can give them? My advice, Maya, would be to figure out what matters to you and never compromise it for the job. Right? And, and that's if you're a founder, that's a little easier because you steer the ship, but it'll also guide you in leadership of um, what kind of leader do you want to be and what kind of company do you want to be at? And you know, it's an investment for you if you move on to a corporate leadership track. You need to be at the right company that over time can support that in you. 
So figuring that out early on, is this where I want to be or isn't it? I think is it will radically change the way that you lead. I think that advice is great. I actually, this correlates very well with something uh, my husband brought up to me yesterday. He said that there was a gentleman that was interviewing. He's a chef, so we're in totally different lines of work, but there uh, he hires a lot of people. And there was a gentleman who asked about, you know, particular values and things in the company. And I told my husband, I said, I literally have done a podcast on that. And now I'm having the wonderful Jill James on here saying how important that is. And I really commended this young chef coming in and asking about that. What are the values of the company? Because he wants to align. And I was just like, that's fabulous. I was happy to hear that and that people are starting to move in that direction. So great piece of advice, Jill. I love that. We need to take that and run with that, whether you're building your own business or you're stepping into a corporate role, because if you're not aligned, that's a whole other podcast episode. So tell us <laughs> where to find you, Jill. I believe your website is thejilljamesright.com. That's right. Thejilljames.com. Perfect. Yes. And then on social media, it's the same? Yes. So my handle on Instagram is thejilljames. I also post on uh, LinkedIn quite a lot. That is Jill D. James, but there's also a company page under the Jill James. Uh, so you'll find me with that name uh, wherever I am. Fabulous. Thank you. And we'll put all of that in the show notes and then in the blog so you guys can find her and then also sign up for this incredible newsletter. Thank you so much, Jill. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Maya. And thank you guys so much for listening to My Opinion. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you so much for listening to the My Opinion podcast. You can catch up on past episodes on the My Opinion podcast website at www.myopinionpodcast.com as well as read the My Opinion blog and contact Maya directly with your questions. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at My Opinion Podcast and Maya Roffler. We'll see you back here next week.